This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, fellow space fans. Welcome back to the Space News by spaceindustrynews.com. My name is Will, and I would like to thank you all for the support that you've showed. Thank you all for the reviews. Thank you all for listening on any podcast platform that you listen on. You are amazing. It's amazing. Like I'm, I'm really touched by the support that you have sent and uh, continue to send along the way. So that being said, um, there's a link in the description of this thing that will let you uh, follow the podcast and also um, donate if you want to. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That's my little commercial for the beginning of this thing. Now let's get into some Mars news. Um, it seems like some scientists have found out that uh, Mars has been... Uh, a victim of vast floods in the past that have burst and spread over its surface in the waters have carved canyons in the red planet's surface that are still visible to this day and the new findings have helped answer a long very old question about how the deep craters could have formed on mars and other planets without plate tectonics like on our mother gaia the earth uh, these studies have found that they are affected by catastrophic geologic processes that could have substantially altered the planet's surface so on mars surface there's a lot of lakes that are now dry but once would have held vast amounts of water huge amounts of water sometimes they would become so full that they overflowed just like here on earth and they would bring catastrophic floods that would cause canyons in just a matter of weeks these things must have been huge so this helps answer the puzzle over whether the canyons were formed over a length of time or in a series of dramatic events the shape of the rock formation or formations excuse me uh suggest it was the latter said tim gouge uh lead author of the paper published in the journal geology this week quoting these breached lakes are fairly common and some of them are quite large some as large as the caspian sea so we think this style of catastrophic overflow flooded and rapid incision of outlet canyons was possible, quite importantly, on early Mars's surface. That being said, satellite images show that Mars has hundreds of craters that were once flooded with water. More than 200 of them have what scientists refer to as paleo lakes with outlet canyons that flow into vast channels of water. Um, scientists have established using NASA imagery that showed the details of the outlets, that those were formed quickly as vast amounts of water flowed through them. And on Earth, such dramatic changes happen over millions of years as the tectonic plates move. But on Mars, they happen really quick, far quicker, and then uh, they can be preserved for billions of years. Co-author of the paper, Caleb Fassett, has said, the landscape on Earth doesn't preserve large lakes for a very long time. But on Mars, these canyons have been there for 3.7 billion years, a very long time. And it gives us insight into what the deep time surface water was like on Mars. So to recap, basically, they're saying there were giant, giant lakes on Mars. And those lakes would overflow and create canyons. 
they would gouge out the Mars surface and create canyons with all, or canyons canyons with all the water that was being flushed out of them. And this happened in a very small amount of time. Um, unlike on Earth, where the tectonic plates would just crush things and make the canyons that way and open it up the Earth. So it's a different process, but it comes to the same conclusion. There are giant canyons on Mars, and the way they were formed, according to this paper, was due to gigantic, enormous lakes overflowing and flooding. And from gigantic gouges in the Mars surface place to uh, Michio Kaku saying that we need a plan B for humans to go to Mars to avoid our extinction. Now, 2018, we have a real prospect of space tourism, asteroid mining, and terraforming on uninhabitable planets. So how and where should we send ourselves and go to another planet so we can have a backup, so to speak? And he says that 99.9% .9 of all life forms have become fossils and disappear off the face of the Earth. Look at the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs did not have a space program, and that's why they're not here today to talk about it. So he believes that terraforming Mars could um, be a possibility. Um, it's a process. Uh, terraforming is a process of creating a habitable environment on another planet, and he believes this could be achieved on Mars by launching solar satellites to the planet to beam sunlight onto its polar ice caps to begin the process of heating it. Now, I did an episode about a week ago about China launching satellites that are um, they're mini moons and these mini moons reflect uh, sunlight back onto planet Earth in the nighttime to save energy. So this is a possibility. If this works out on Earth, it's possible it could work out on Mars. So if they beam sunlight onto the um, <clears throat> onto the polar ice caps, it could start melting and it could begin the process of heating up. It's going to take a long time. So he says, uh, once you can raise the temperature of Mars by six degrees, it takes off all by itself. All of a sudden, you get a gateway greenhouse effect, and Mars basically transforms itself. And he says he's not suggesting humans need to evacuate Earth. He just says that um, no one's really talking about us right now going to, Earth, going to uh, Mars. Earth doesn't need to be evacuated quite yet. This is for the future. Um, and we're talking about like a settlement a uh, self-sustaining settlement on Mars that's not going to drain the resources of planet Earth, but will give us an insurance policy or a plan B. So to put this into perspective, it takes about a million dollars per half kilogram to um, send somebody to Mars. And that's prohibitive. Um, but the professor says uh, he doesn't expect it to stay that way forever. And he uses the example of The Martian, the film with Matt Damon, and it cost $100 million to make. While the Indian government sought to probe to Mars for $70 million. He says, so a Hollywood movie about going to Mars costs more than actually going to Mars. And he says prices are dropping like a rock. So basically what he's saying is this is our backup plan, man. We got to stay here. We got to do the Earth thing for a while. We got to fix up our own planet. Eventually, when prices go down, we can start sending people to Mars on missions to uh, populate the place and terraform it with these uh, solar solar sun reflect. He also mentioned something about laser porting or digital selves. He believes that one day we may even gain the capabilities to travel through space without even leaving home. Basically shooting information, our memories, our thoughts, all digitized in an AI-driven replica. 
so there'd be like a robot you know on mars and then we would send ourselves to this robot in the digital self our digital selves will be transmitted via laser beam into space and then in a second you're on the moon and in 20 minutes you're on mars and in a few hours you're on jupiter he said and he thinks that this could possibly happen within 50 to 100 years though he argues others might have beaten us to it he says i'll stick my neck out I think this already exists, he says. I think aliens from outer space simply digitize their personality, put it on a laser beam, and shoot their consciousness at the speed of light. So have aliens visited us? Do you think they've digitized themselves and sent themselves down to Earth? Set their digitized brains, digitized selves, into something on Earth so they can check out what we're all about? I don't know. He says that aliens probably found out already. There's another race out there that is doing this already. So this technology doesn't exist yet for us. Now, the timeline of the universe, it's all over the place. You know, we have billions of years to catch up. So we're going to do it eventually if we keep down this path of of technology and advancement. That's pretty far off into the distant future, though. If you think about it, that's a long distance... You know, he says 50 to 100 years. People have made these sort of assumptions in the past about future technologies. Just look at the stuff that people were thinking about in the 40s and 50s. We should have flying cars by now, right? We should have flying cars. We should have settlements on the moon. We should be on Mars. We should have Martians, human Martians right there. And if he's saying that this could happen in 50 to 100 years, there's a possibility it could. Now, is it going to happen? We don't know. So if we can digitize ourselves and send ourselves, that would be great. But we have to take it all with a grain of salt because you never really know what's going to happen in the future. Now, speaking of the future, the future of NASA's space launch system, the SLS, the towering, gigantic, yet-to-fly government rocket, which will house the Orion space capsule on top of it, may be uh, an afterthought after... Leaders in the NASA agency um, have looked into other things like the BFR, the Big Falcon rocket, which is built by Elon Musk's SpaceX and the new Glenn, a launcher built by Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin. NASA's associate administrator said, I think our view is that if these commercial capabilities come online, we will eventually retire the government system and uh, just move to a buying launch capacity on these rockets. So NASA finds itself in a weird position right now. Uh, there's two private launch systems that may beat the SLS back to the moon, and SpaceX might actually send people to Mars. So the SLS is uh, it's called a super heavy lift rocket, and that means that it's designed to throw a giant payload of more than 55 tons, roughly the mass of a battle tank, into LEO, low Earth orbit. And a NASA spokesperson said, We need a super heavy lift launch capability. Without it, we're not going to have a safe, reliable, and affordable architecture and implementation for human exploration. Now, coming up, there's several um, iterations of the SLS that are planned through the 2020s, and the first is called the Block 1. This rocket is expected to stand about 322 feet tall and be able to lift about 70 tons of spacecraft hardware and supplies into orbit. Now, NASA hopes to test the launch of the first Block 1 rocket in June of 2020 on a flight called the Exploration Mission, 
the EM-1, and the mission aims to prove that SLS is safe and reliable by sending an uncrewed Orion spacecraft around the moon and back to Earth. A crewed explorer mission, the EM-2, would follow several years later. So they're going to take the explorer mission 1, do all the data, crunch all the numbers, and find out if it is capable of sending humans out into space around the moon and back. Um, we have the technology. We did it before. We landed people on the moon, right? And you're thinking, why haven't we done this since? What's going on with these rockets? Why are they making these giant rockets? Well, NASA has the, the plan. It's the big plan to go to Mars, right? And they spend about $11.5 billion on the SLS, and they are projected to need another four point four to $5 billion more. Um, and that's planned by 2021. And the scheduled launch date for EM-1 is June of 2020, so that's a couple years away. Um, and it's about 2.5 years behind schedule. And an internal audit of NASA's program found that preventable accidents, contract management problems, and other performance issues related to Boeing, the prime contractor, is largely responsible for the cost overruns and delays. So it's not on NASA's budget. You know, it's not on their hands. It's, um, it's Boeing, the contractor, that's taken up a bunch of this time and a bunch of money. And uh, these issues have experts estimating an average cost of $5 billion. That's with a B per launch of the SLS, which is a single-use rocket. Presumably, you know, SpaceX or Blue Origin could launch at a fraction of that price since their upcoming vehicles are reusable. And if more things come up in the future with the SLS program, NASA may also watch SpaceX beat the agency to the moon with a crewed mission people going to the moon with a private spacecraft that's because elon musk the company's founder is pursuing aggressive timelines to explore the solar system with his bfr rocket spacex employees have been uh going crazy under tent in los angeles to build the top half of the system called the big falcon spaceship the bfs and uh spacex's president and also elon also elon musk they both said the spacecraft could be doing short launches called hops as soon as 2019 dude that's this year you know a couple a couple uh, months from now we'll be in 2019 uh, musk also plans to modify an upper stage of his blockbuster falcon 9 rocket into a mini bfr ship to test and refine some of the more challenging aspects of the fully reusable spacecraft design one hurdle is uh testing the heat shield and let's see if that survives blazing hot re-entry into Earth's atmosphere to protect the crew and allow the spaceship to be refueled and launched again and reused over and over and over, thus cutting the costs down for future launches. And in 2020 and 2021, SpaceX launch, aims to launch a fully integrated version of the BFR with the Big Falcon spaceship on top into orbit around Earth. And around the same time, Blue Origin is planning to use New Glenn, a major section of which can land back on Earth and be reused to deliver lander to the surface of the moon to scout for water ice. These are private companies. These are This is not a giant government agency. These are companies that are spending their own money to do exploration of our solar system. And if SpaceX's first orbital launch and uncrewed missions fly without an explosion or other incident, uh, the company tends to launch a Japanese billionaire and a group of artists around the moon in 2023. This dude, this billionaire, bought out the space on this rocket and on this spacecraft 
to fly himself in a group of artists, a group of explorers around the moon on it, like a space tourism mission. Now, uh, it remains to be seen how the agency uh, would react to such a feat. So if NASA sees this happening, uh, it's a, you know, it's going to happen in the, uh, in the near future. And it's also unknown, you know, what NASA would do if SpaceX's launches of the uncrewed missions to Mars with a BFR in 22, followed by the first crewed missions to um, Mars in 2024. It's several years ahead of when the space agency hopes to land people on the moon. So NASA is going to be playing catch up to a private agency. Now, NASA isn't going to be on the moon by the time, you know, SpaceX gets to Mars, presumably. Um, so the um, NASA spokesperson said, we haven't really engaged SpaceX on how we'd work together on BFR and eventually get to a Mars mission yet. My guess is that it's coming. So it's in the, you know, it's in the woodwork. It's in the wheelhouse, man. These guys might want to work together and do some really creative and amazing science together in engineering. Um, so there's other people in the space agency leadership that are laser focused on test launches for the company's um, commercial crew program. And it's a competition for private companies to build and launch American made spaceships. Um, so our crews have been going to space via Russian rockets, right? Taxiing. They've been taxing them and spending money overseas and not spending money on American companies that are doing this. So SpaceX and Boeing have both designed and built seven person space capsules, uh, which are nearing approval for uncrewed and crewed test missions. And SpaceX is currently looking to fly its first um, crew dragon ship. A NASA spokesperson said the first uncrewed flight test right now is scheduled for January, followed by not many months later, maybe in the springtime, their first crewed flight test to the space station. So SpaceX's capsule will be sending humans up to the International Space Station, and they're going to be doing all sorts of engineering to figure that stuff out so it can, you know, so they can launch. They're going to use this as like a testing platform so they can launch people out into outer space, you know, out into the orbit of the moon and further off into uh, Mars. And once the Crew Dragon and Boeing's CST-100 Starliner ships prove that they can launch safely and reliable, um, the company's space leadership will further debate its deep space program with the BFR and Blue Origin's New Glenn. So going forward, NASA is going to look into these two spacecrafts and these two companies to maybe harbor their astronauts and their, their um, science gear up into space as opposed to building their own gigantic gigantic rocket themselves you know if, if spacex can do it for a fraction of the price if blue origins new glenn can do it at a fraction of the price that taxpayers are spending for these other giant rockets the sls you know we want nasa to build this stuff we want them to be the first to do these things um but when it comes down to it, it comes down to a budget. And if NASA can spend the money on, say, um, you know, a quarter of the cost on the rocket to fund some other outer space adventures, you know, or send more rockets to Mars, you know, if they can send a quarter or spend a quarter of the money getting people to Mars, that means they can do four missions for the same price as one mission. 
with the SLS. So they could they could use Dragon um, or the um, BFR or New Glenn for these missions as opposed to the SLS and save, you know, uh, if if it's that much, you know, maybe send, you know, four missions as opposed to one. So it would be really great to see that happen. And I really wish, um, you know, I really hope that all, this all comes together so we can all see humans on Mars, like standing on Mars. That's going to be absolutely insane. That's a sci-fi movie. That's the that's the beginning to all of the sci-fi movies that we used to watch when we grew up, you know, and we still watch now. So The Martian, it's possible, you know, it's possible. Something like that could start. Um, so, you know, that's that's the news for now, guys. I just wanted to let you guys know about that stuff. And, you know, let me know what you think about the SLS. Let me know what you think about SpaceX and Blue Origin. We have a Twitter account, Space End News, S-P-A-C-E-I-N-D-N-E-W-S. And I'm getting another one for this podcast specifically. And our website, spaceindustrynews.com, is the place to go for these podcasts going forward in the future. And I'm still working on that stuff, so I appreciate you guys standing by for all that. And, um, you know, if you want to support the podcast monetarily, there's a link in the description. And I think that's it for now, guys. But thank you for listening to the Space News by spaceindustrynews.com. My name is Will, and I will see you soon.